Hey everyone, welcome back to Probably Science. Uh, we had a little bit of a break while we both traveled the world. I traveled... Via <laughs> dirigible. Yeah, I, I traveled <laughs> to different continents and Andy traveled to different planes of consciousness. Space, space and time, yep. Um, sorry for those noises. Yeah, <laughs> I went home to London and Andy, Andy went home to the playa. Oh my God. Welcome home, Andy. No, it's the opposite of welcome home. That yeah. was home, right? I know. So now, yeah. Um, yeah. How yeah. was it back in default world? Oh my God. I don't, I got a text from Brian Cook. He's like, um, by the way, don't think when you get back, I'm not going to ask what your playa name is. I'm like, you motherfucker. Okay. I, we've defended Burning Man. I don't need to defend it anymore. It's great. And I don't care if you think it's a, you, well, you get how it's fun. Uh, should we just bring our guest in to hear her opinion of Burning Man? Let's do that. We have the lovely and talented Sarah Benincasa who has invited us into her home. What, do, do you know about Burning Man? Yeah, I think it's great that you did that whole ruse where you pretended to run into the fire and burn up and die, but like, here you are. <laughs> I think it's cool that you faked that. Yo. Yeah, you're going right there. I just like to go into a very dark place whenever whenever I am welcomed onto a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so you're, do you use the term burner? Are you like, I'm no, a burner? I, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to identify as anything too much as, as an actual, like, here's the thing that is the word that describes me. I've been three times. I enjoy it. I don't want uh, anybody to be like, oh, Andy, that's, he's that burner. I will say this. All my friends who go seem very happy when they come back. And I used to make fun of it a lot up until like last week. And then I realized when I was seeing um, some images of friends coming back and just how happy they looked, especially people who typically deal with um, things like, as I do, depression and anxiety and seeing how sort of lighter and happier they appeared to be, even in the in the light of, of the tragedy that occurred. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just chill out because this makes them happy. And I sit on a mat in my house every morning and breathe for 10 minutes and clear my mind. And that's some hippie shit. So fuck it. I have some, my good friends, uh, well, my friend Ella, who's lovely, and then her gentleman caller, Lawrence, um, go every year. And they love it. And they have a community of friends as a result. So uh, I think it's, you know what? I've changed my mind. I flipped the script. I'll say that. You don't have to. I wasn't trying to say you have to like it. I did. I did. I evolved on it. I've evolved on uh, Burning Man and anal sex in the past year. And I feel great about it. Those two do go hand in hand. They really do. (laughs) I've heard that they do. Although having said that, it's a very dusty place. Yeah. Um, I've actually, (laughs) how about this for a little... What's a dusty place, Matt? (laughs) What are you referring? I'm just saying things don't necessarily mix well with lube. (laughs) It's always a grittiness. I have. I will say, I've yet to have sex at Burning Man, and I've yet to hear sex because I sleep with earplugs. Even though, like, there are tents very close to me, I'm asking earplugs. This year, I introduced Valium into the equation. Oh, fucking great! Seven hours or more of sleep every night. Did not hear EDM or tent fucking. <laughs> I went to Woodstock '99, and I am as sure it's the Did you same really? thing. I actually worked there. I've all, I, I worked on. I was a teenager, and but I also was. Um, C, I was certified uh, in CPR, uh, the Heimlich maneuver, first aid, and uh, AFib. So what's um, the last one? 
You know, like when you take paddles and shock someone back to life. You're certified in that. I was certified at the time I was. It expires after two years. Okay. So it's been, you know, like four years since I was a teen. Mm-hmm. And um, but but I was certified in all of that. And I applied and I had a lot of like good references from volunteer stuff. So I got hired to work on the basically work with teenagers, uh, fellow teens. So mm-hmm. my job at Woodstock 99 was to ride around on a golf cart, find teenagers who were freaking out on drugs I'd never tried and just talk them down and I was pretty good at it I really enjoyed it it was a lot of like talking to sorority girls from Hofstra and being like no Donna like it's okay you know what whether or not your boyfriend loves you anymore you love you don't you let's get some water (laughs) (laughs) that's my whole job I I actually had to help I had to help a girl who as I was walking back from the actual man that was burning um these two people on a bike tipped over. I assumed it was just like a weight thing and didn't realize that no, it was a guy trying to bike off and his girlfriend had jumped on the back trying to stop him, knocked him over. She fell off. He biked away. She's crying on the ground. So oh. I'm like, are you okay? I'm assuming that she's having a bad time, something drug induced, but she's crying. She's like, no, he's addicted to ketamine. He's going to kill himself. You got to help me call a ranger. I'm like, I don't know. What's a ranger going like to do? He's in like a K-hole on a bike. Well, he's not in the K-hole. I wouldn't be biking probably. Can you bike on a, in a K-hole? Listen, yeah. if you're really good at it, you can. You can bike to hell. But yeah, I think all a ranger is really both qualified and allowed to do is go like, sir? Uh- be more careful with your ketamine intake. Yeah, so she was losing it. She was like, "Really? Like he's gonna? He's got a pro? He's di- He's gonna? He's gonna? He's gonna? What's the verb of ketamining? He's gonna ketamine he's, himself. He's cat tranking. I mean, I, mean, I love that Andy belittle. shows up like a very attractive Deus Ex Machina into this like cracked out girl's world, and it's just like, "Can I help you?" And she's like, "Everything's worth it. My job at J Crew is worth it. This is worth it. I saved up my paid time off. I love this. Are you married now?" Oh yeah, we, we were registered at uh, at the Bath and Beyond, yeah. and Dougie, the dealer. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an online registry. You keep telling him, Dougie, this is not a good idea. The feds can go to this site, don't you know? You shouldn't register on the Silk Road. I don't, I don't think that exists Does anymore. Does the dark web have, have wedding registration? <laughs> we should all register there. We need you- his and her matching assassinations. <laughs> Like everybody in the in the wedding party has to somehow like get a Bitcoin account to be able to <laughs> listen. Cryptocurrency is like the best way to say I love you, bro. There, there was a lecture on on cryptocurrency. Oh, did I, you go I, admit, to it? I didn't go. I didn't do any. This year, I didn't do any lectures. We've been talking about doing. Uh, I think that we've got a couple of potential Bitcoin experts. If any of you listening as well happen to be particularly, I think we have people who really know the sort of business and culture side of bitcoins Mm -hmm. but if anyone any of our listeners happen to be really up to date or just really okay with the mathematics of it could you um did you listen to not to plug other podcasts but the radio lab episode about e another cryptocurrency i forgot what it's called but the process of creating it like because because bitcoin and one of the downsides is that you every transaction is is public because it has to be because it has to be attached to the to the bitcoin so you I forgot the reason why it matters that you know everything that's happened to this. Th- I guess so you know that no one could have created a new piece of Bitcoin out of thin air. Like this thing has been transacted all these ways. But this is what I can't. I can't fully understand how Bitcoin is anonymous. It's not or, anonymous. That's what I'm saying. Or, or even pseudonymous when there's a register, a public register of every transaction that every bit of Bitcoin is involved in. The downside is it's not anonymous. So there was a Radio Lab episode about the cash version of this. Someone was trying to create. And the downside is, like, at its inception, there's a brief window of time when there is some 
giant probably prime number that if someone knew that um, they could instantly create a bunch of extra units of that currency no one would ever know that they had created and they would instantly be a millionaire in this currency it basically it was like if, if the if the US mint started printing money and they had to look away for five minutes and hope that nobody <laughs> so they had this elaborate process where they had to go to this a bunch of different hotels and have people around the world who were who had these like burner laptops who all connected and each created part of this number and it's a very funny not funny but interesting like this one day, they had to dedicate a full day to just creating this one key and, and have a way of showing the world via video that there's no, there's no possible way someone else could have in that instant created another one of these. Because otherwise, no one, would, no, one would have, yeah, no one would have faith in this currency if there was any chance somebody had in that brief instant gotten that number and then created a bunch of extra money for themselves because they would have like flooded the market. Anyway, um, go check out a different podcast than ours. <laughs> well, one, of, one of my self-made... Wealthy friend. Oh, no, actually, I'm sorry. It was, it was 99% invisible. It was one of those two. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. But sorry. I love a show note. Show notes are great. I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm a, I was raised by a librarian, and I'm a nerd, and I really enjoy the extra material in the footnotes and stuff. So I love. As in, one of that. your parents was a librarian, or you were just a bat. You just spent your life in a library when you were growing up. And uh, after my parents were murdered by wolves uh-huh. in a post-burning man cave. Glad you brought it up. And is it really yeah. murder when it's a wolf? Can you call it? Can you, ascri- can you assign human uh, They were to- gnashing their fangs and saying in human voices, I'm going to fucking kill your parents, you dumb bitch. And I said, first of all, that's misogynist. Second of all, mom, dad. And they killed them. And then I was raised by Giles from Buffy. And we had a lot of sex. Uh, but the well, death that your story checks out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I had a uh, so I have so like I have friends who come from money and friends who don't come from money and uh, friends who have a bunch and who don't have any and who have some. You know, like many people. And one of my self-made wealthy friends, which is key to this tale, uh, is a very hardworking, talented gentleman who's very smart with his money, very frugal, intelligent gentleman, and he. He invested in a cryptocurrency that was not Bitcoin, but he made a great deal of money off of it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what what induced you to do this? Like, you're you're not I wouldn't think that would be of interest to you. And he said, well, I have a friend who comes from a lot of money and he's smart. And when someone comes from a lot of money and they're smart about money and they tell me to do a thing, I do it. So Mm -hmm. I did. And he said, and I made, I think whatever his investment was, he made something insane, like a thousand percent on it, like something crazy, and then cashed out. If you get in early on those ones, like now the, didn't you buy Bitcoin when you were? No. I bought Tesla when everybody was buying Tesla ridiculousness. Like you were in a the Tesla. Whole were of ridiculousness. I have. They are fun. <gasps> I was in one once, and it was thrilling. It goes very fast quickly. The hey. cooler thing to me is that there's no noise when it goes fast, so it just feels like you just suddenly went to warp speed. And, and also the weird. type of acceleration, because it's not an engine, it's not gears. It's, it's just constant. Yeah, it's a the acceleration motor. Is constant, it, yeah, right, it's right, a constant. Right. It does feel like a roller coaster because it, it just yeah. it is just a constant amount of g force. We like just, just in, you just go like Los Feliz, and I was just like, we just went from like ten to like fifty, and then went to a normal speed that was legal and I was like that was a very between little doms and the coffee bean that was a wild time yeah. maybe it's Pete's I'm not sure it would be better if I knew for the joke specificity is important I'm for humor I guess you couldn't have gone north from little doms so no it no it was like yeah. in Albertson's direction okay, right, right, yeah. and it was very thrilling oh wait no I was in one another time a dude driving Lyft had a Tesla Whoa. I guess you know he was like hey <laughs> I can't imagine how that comes to pass. He had a friend with him in the car too, and he was 
as I was in the car, he was explaining to his friend how Lyft works as an app. So I sort of, listening to their conversation, I was like, I think these guys are actually investors. Oh, this could be like an undercover boss kind of situation? I think so. Also, yeah, or they're, they're writing a script about it. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's probably I'm what I'm playing a Lyft driver in my next movie. Like, was, was it like, Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> yeah, it was Ryan Reynolds and Ashton Kutcher. So I was like, am I being punked? And they were like, no, this is actual film research. And I was like, cool, guys. And I just sat there quietly. drive. Yeah, I was like, I have a party to go to. Thanks. Did you glance into the front seat and see a copy of Dude, Where's My Electric Vehicle sitting there? <laughs> I did. And then I was like, why is there a butterfly effect Criterion <laughs> collection? Ashton, I didn't think that it made it that far. That's... It was really exciting. Hey, Sarah, before hey. we get fully into the stories. Oh, yeah. What we like to ask our guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? And sometimes it's a deep background. Sometimes it's just a class that you liked or a class that you hated or you used to blow stuff up in the woods with your friends mm-hmm. or make chemicals in your kitchen. Methamphetamines. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, you should know that you are talking to a Space Academy camper of the week. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking. You're, you're looking that, at a space camper who didn't know until he got to space camp that space academy is the one where you get to be in the spinny chair. Space camp. <laughs> it was you cool cannot. as shit too. Regular you. listeners to the show will know that this is not the first time this, <laughs> this distinction has been made. That's my um, is bet noir the right use? I don't know what the right term. That, I don't a, either. A but carp, I like that a thing that's been uh, yeah all, my whole life. This, this, <laughs> Uh, frustration that I didn't get to be in the spinny chair. It's like bait and switch. Every ad, everything you know about Space Gap is you're sitting in a chair that spins around in every possible direction. That's you what get I there did. as a 12 year old and be like, guess what? You're not in the academy. No spinny chair. You were too young. Of- the academy yeah. starts when you're 13, yeah, I, think. I think. so. And yeah. I was like 14, and that was how I did spring break, I guess, in eighth grade. I was never very strong in the sciences, but I kicked ass at Space Camp. Uh, I think just, or Space Academy, I think because I was good at. I was good at rote memorization uh-huh. at the time. And so I could do that and spit back facts. And also a lot of what we did at Space Academy had to do with leadership and management. So I was, you know, you ran a mission and you sort of listened to everyone and gathered their information and synthesized it and made suggestions. So because I was pleasant, I got to be, I think. And I was also good at uh, Space Jeopardy. I fucking killed it. But, I don't um, think we had that either. Yeah, well, listen, were you in Huntsville or where were Huntsville, you? Huntsville, yeah. Yeah, that's where I was too. Well, there was a tornado, I remember, when I was there. So we had to like hunker down on underground and i also Jeez. had grits for the first time it was quite a time but so, I, what was the simulated the simulated mission what so it actually required some sort of problem solving it did but it was very much group it wasn't really necessarily science related like you could go in there with very low math or science natural aptitude as i had very low aptitude for that naturally but it was people skills yeah and so it was a management challenge really so i i won that killed it in eighth grade nice. before i learned how to be popular and um uh, it was fun, and I love that 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 what Space Camp and Space Academy really do are create lifelong NASA acolytes, and so you're in the tank for NASA yeah. and NASA funding for the rest of your life. It's very smart. But the way you're shaking your head back and forth makes it seem like you think that's a nefarious thing. And not- I I do, but I respect it, and oh, okay. I'm also fully okay. in the tank for NASA. NASA, like the fact that we live near JPL, the Jet Propulsion right. Laboratory, yeah. which is like a uh, wild, wild part, kind of sometimes controversial aspect of NASA. They're also, the loose cans. They're the Mavericks. They're the they're Mavericks. The, the loose yeah. cans. They have some heritage that involves uh, uh, one of the founders who was really into magic and Aleister Crowley and sex orgies. Yep, I love it. It's true there story. was a NASA guy giving a talk at Center Camp at Burning Man. 
Oh, really? That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, about the future of um, like private and commercial space flight and Mars missions and stuff. Um, he, he himself seemed like the kind of guy who would not be at, at Burning Man and it did not really cater the speech at all to the burner crowd. Like he was he was talking excitedly about all these like corporate ventures and like that's a, that's like a that's that's, that that's like the C it. word at, at, cor- <laughs> at Burning Man. Like don't don't bring that part up. He's like, Yeah, it's great, like all these SpaceX type companies. And then we can fill out form three oh one B and and we can apply for these following grants. I'm like, no, talk about the explosions. Sir, no. Well, I, so that is one aspect, but also even earlier than that, I mean, my dad has worked at a pharmaceutical company for since I was two, and before that worked at a chemical company, and so I uh, my take our daughters to work day, I went to a birth control plant, Whoa. and my dad worked in a birth control plant, and so did uh, my uh, two, my great uncles who were married to each other eventually. Uh, they weren't related to each other. It was a, it was a great uncle, my grandfather's brother, and then his partner. They both wait, worked at the control factory. Okay, wait. That makes Too many sense. things. I just threw a lot. Yeah, I know, yeah. it's a I lot. Was to, the birth control factory was, was which people again? So my father. Yeah. So then, just to be clear, the birth control factory isn't the thing that produced two older gay men. No, 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 no. Because no, that, no. Is... that was just heaven that did that. That was God. Okay. That was Jesus Christ. Also, so my, uh, you know, my dad's side is Irish Catholic. My mom's side is ostensibly Italian Catholic, but actually like Arab and somewhat Italian and kind of Spanish. But um, anyway, culturally very like Jersey Sicilian. And so my grandfather's brother worked there, as did his partner. And um, my father worked there. I worked there for a time. I had an internship. So did my brother. Oh, gosh. Lots of family members. My, my, before the company did birth control, they did all kinds of pharmaceuticals. And uh, my great-grandmother worked there. Like it's, I, I think I'm like the fourth generation in my family to have worked for this particular big corporation in some capacity but um, my dad focused on the birth control side mm-hmm. so they made pills and they made uh, vaginal foam contraceptive foam with an anoxanol 9 and they made lubricant with an anoxanol 9 and spermicide and um, they did diaphragms as well that's okay. where my great uncle worked and so in the diaphragm factory aspect and so I visited the factory many times take our daughters to work day when I was a kid and um, so it was a good time. And I, I have a picture somewhere here of me, like with big glasses on and a lab coat and seeing, seeing it happen. So it was to encourage, even we didn't call it STEM then, but it was to encourage young women to be interested in STEM careers and yeah. learn how to use birth control, I guess. Um, hey, let's, uh, you just took a swig of whiskey right in I front did. of you. I did. Let's start off with a less intensive sciencey story that was sent in by Julian Alberto. Uh, why whiskey tastes better with a little water? Mm. Uh huh. I'm double fisting. Oh, you are whiskey we, and water. You are, and you put you put ice in your whiskey, which I guess I becomes effectively the same kind thing. Kind of opens I, it up a little bit. Yeah, well, that's exactly what people say, and now we know the science behind it thanks to a new study. The combination is a bit counterintuitive, which is part of the reason researchers wanted to look at the molecular chemistry behind what's happening in your whiskey glass. On the surface, whiskey seems pretty simple. It's mostly grain and water that goes through a specific process. But from a chemistry standpoint, it it includes a complex variety of molecules that contribute to its unique taste. One of these is the compound um, guiacol, G-U-A-I-A-C-O-L, which lends itself to the smokiness associated with some whiskeys. And that's the molecule that two researchers from the Linnaeus University Center for Biomaterials Chemistry in Sweden focused on for their study. The researchers looked at both bottled and cask-strength whiskey. What's the difference between bottled and cask-strength? Oh, it tells you a second later. Let me tell you. 
bottled whiskey has been diluted down to about 40% alcohol. Boo. Down from <laughs> about 70% after distilling. Cask whiskey is stronger at around 55 to 65% alcohol by volume. Thank God. Even if 65% some alcohol... 65% I know that's too much, sounds like it? a pretty intense whiskey. Yeah, Although some alcohol does evaporate as it matures in the barrels for, around, for at least three years. So they discovered that this guayacol is, a, is most present at the surface of diluted whiskey, which is why whiskey with added water tastes better. The taste molecules are at the top of your glass. From a molecular perspective, water and alcohol don't completely mix. Uh, instead, we have clusters of water molecules and, and clusters of alcohol molecules. When the whiskey is diluted, the alcohol is driven to the surface, and many of the taste molecules follow it because they like to be in a slightly less aqueous environment. The taste that we experience is therefore enhanced. But there is a limit. If we dilute the whiskey too much, the concentration of the taste molecules is reduced and the drink will be meager. So in higher alcohol whiskey, mm. the flavor is different because the taste molecules aren't reacting to the presence of water. So the most interesting finding was that high al- at higher alcohol by whiskey by volume concentrations, 59% and up, um, the taste compound was surrounded by ethanol molecules in the solution. Um, uh, so they didn't discover this through taste, but by using computer simulations of the molecules, which enabled them to follow on chemical processes as if they're watching a molecular movie. Uh, they believe the findings can be applied to other age spirits like brandy, rum, and tequila because they have similar solutions, taste compounds, and alcohol by volume. This is random and not that scientific, but I think that brandy comes from a Dutch word. I think it's brontevine or something like that. Like, I... I I'm, I may be misremembering this, but I think that initially it was brought over from the old world um, and was intended to be diluted. And then the sailors apparently got to enjoy just the concentrate so much that that led to what we have today. Which that is makes sense. Yeah, why would you want to waste the shipping vo- the shipping weight of, of unnecessary water if you could have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they got here and were like, you know what? Why don't we just jack up the price and sell it as is? This is kind of cool. And put it in a big bowl shaped cup. Yeah, it was or like glass that we can then swirl around. It'll be fun. Guys, can I take pictures and document this process? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. can. Just you just taste. sent me to the Wikipedia page for brandy, which I should have known is way more extensive than... The, uh, it's not going to provide a quick verification of what you're talking about. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm fascinated with brandy. I'm going to read all about it. <laughs> <laughs> that silence was me to, smiling. I'm right trying here. to take candidates of you guys, <laughs> and right, you both instantly to... like know your angles well, really no, well. No, we don't. We just, so you uh, both pose. The alternative is us both looking at laptops. That's no good, right? Uh, no, because it implies like here are men who work. Chicks dig that. This is all about chicks, right? That's why we're right. doing this that's podcast. That's why we do it. Burning Man. Podcasting that's why we do podcast. That's, that's, why that's why we're all here. Guys. Uh, speaking of photography, though, there was a pretty cool thing that someone had done. Um, oh, by the way, I had I ran into um, past guest Matt Faulkner, who worked at the um, the Institute section of Burning Man, where they had that giant Tesla coil that year. Matt. Oh yeah, yeah. They had a Tesla coil back again this year, and oh, cool. uh, we had to catch up. There were quite um, a few past guests of the show knocking around Burning Man this year. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I saw Moshe once, um, but I didn't run to John Eric or a lot of other. Oh, uh, um, one of our listeners came by. Thank you so much for stopping in. That was really cool of you. Um, and what was I was going to say, oh, someone, someone, someone had made all these pinhole cameras, actual actual film cameras, with just um, a, a roll of film and some duct tape and a little shutter that was just a slip of cardboard you pull out to expose some light through that pinhole so you just have he put a key in the film roll so you just twist it until you see 10 sprockets roll by and oh, cl- cool. indicating a frame and he made 20 of those and handed them out which is like yeah take pictures all week and then just drop it off back with me and i'll develop them all and then i'll email you like a link to see all the, all the 
picture. That's so, so cool. Yeah, so you're just kind of like eyeballing. You have no idea if the picture is going to work as you're taking it. You're just guessing it's bright out. I'll expose this for a second. It's darker. I'll, we're inside. I'll do it for like five seconds. Um, so I have no idea how they'll turn out, but it was, it was really. I was like, oh my god, you dropped this off at the perfect place. I'm fascinated That'll be so by this. So cool. Yeah. And and I bet that that's sort of how early photography went too. You know, like the earliest experiments. Were, I would think like, like yeah, a camera obscura would mm-hmm. be the first. Uh, or, or I mean, I guess that's not a way to capture a thing, but just to see like. Rep- I don't, I don't I know. Why am I trying to guess? I don't have the language for it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, just, I mean, like, yeah, a room. I mean, camera just means room. And, um, yeah, camera obscura is just a dark room with a pinhole on one side, and then it shows you an upside down, perfectly in focus image, another wall of what's on the other side of it. Have you ever seen an actual camera obscura, like a giant? Mm-hmm. I never have. You ever been to, like, a hands on museum, space camp? There is like? one oh, at man, the, the uh, observatory, the Griffith Park Observatory. Oh, okay. Well, I need to get it. There's a lot of uh, incredible, like, beautiful things in Los Angeles that have to do with science education across the sciences that I haven't experienced and that is one that I need to That's definitely a good one because it's all free and even just before you get into the building it's one of the best places to go in LA because it's uh a it's at the top of a big hill that overlooks the entire city. Right. I've then, been I've been there and I think that I was forced twice by well-meaning individuals to hike to the top and I was just like Jesus guys this is a lot for me right now. By the time I got up there I was just really focusing on not murdering anyone. Well, <laughs> if you go inside the building not the, that high. I think they tempt you in with air conditioning and water fountains. Oh, I peed inside and felt great about it okay. and drank water and took photos outside to be like look I did this. <laughs> I did this. I did this. I think the last time I hiked up there, it was with my girlfriend, and she thought she knew a cool path that would be a shortcut to the top. Oh, no. And it, like, firstly, we had to navigate like wild animals that right. were just blocking the path, and then we sort of ended up underneath the deck. Oh, like, shit. <laughs> like, there's a sort of deck outside that's next to the restaurant area. And we just sort of emerged underneath it and then had to climb up and over the top. Like, and people are like, basically, there's people there having right. their dinner. <laughs> and seeing two like, filthy hikers just suddenly <laughs> appearing from the brush, climbing over the... Hey, guys. Climbing over this balcony and just appearing. Hey! <laughs> We've been in the woods. <laughs> I didn't know there was food up there. I would have really enjoyed the walk more. Oh, there's I, a little restaurant. There's a little mini cafe. I think one time it, I was brought up by well-meaning friends and then and I saw somebody that I was like, ooh, I don't want to see you. Like, just somebody who I felt weird about. Not like a former lover or anything. Just somebody who I was like, I feel strange about you. You weren't nice to my friend. So I had to as I was schlepping up a hill, had to also like hide. It was very strange. And then another time, it was I was I was with a boyfriend, and it was like a bad relationship, you know, that had been bad consistently for years. And like he was like, "Let's hike up a hill," which is a lovely impulse. Mm. But it, so it was like a lot of hiking mixed with quiet rage from both of us. Yeah. So I need a good. I need a solid, like clean hike. I need like a good buddy where it's just, "Hey, man, we're doing this. Let's go to the. Let's go pee and drink water." But and not drink pee and listen maybe Leonard Nimoy's voice is involved at some point I'm not sure let's go look at some shit let's go to the cafe it's awesome you are so picky with your hiking <laughs> criteria a, I know I'm an asshole um, so what's, what's your opinion of the new trend like I feel like uh, long walks on the beach the, the 2017 version of long walks on the beach is, is hiking or at least in LA right like everyone yeah. has to on their dating profiles has to be all about the hiking do you lie and say you like hiking for the purposes of a dating um, app or will you be well, like I've only been on dating apps briefly like I was on OkCupid for a week I was on Bumble for like a week for chicks and a week for dudes. I'm more dude oriented, but I also, you know, will date women as well. So, what was your uh, take on Bumble? Uh, 
chicks were like not interested in me on Bumble and dudes were like about it. But I only went on two Bumble dates. Uh-huh. One with somebody who I had known my freshman year of college but forgot existed. And the next one with a friend of a friend of a friend. And, um, you know, neither one of them led to like a lasting thing, although both of them were lovely, lovely people. Mm-hmm. So I just, I feel weird on it. Like I got off Bumble quickly. OkCupid was weird because... I was approached by several men who were like, I follow you on Twitter. Or like, I read this, I write about mental health stuff sometimes. And so there were like a few guys who approached me and seemingly it was like just friendly at first. And then they were like, I just want you to know, I read that like thing you wrote about depression and it really helped me, which is very sweet, but doesn't make me want to have sex with you or go on a date with you necessarily. And then they just kind of unloaded in a nice way. But I had to be like, okay. And then I think I was... I kind of want a relationship, not a therapist-patient interaction. Yeah, I was like, wow, I'm not really interested in codependency uh, so much. Uh, I've engaged, I've tried it, you know. Uh, I've also tried fondue. I don't like cheese fondue. I like chocolate fondue. I don't like codependent relationships. I like where we both kind of are working on our shit. You can both be fucked up, but if you're working on your shit, that's awesome. So Wait, I had so to codependency is cheese and working on your shit is chocolate. Correct. Okay. Exactly. Make sure what the food that's how I think about it. You can be flawed as hell, but if you're working on your shit, that's awesome and wonderful. Tinder was also weird. The point is this. Long-winded answer. I will say I like an easy hike, and I'm working up to a more difficult... I forgot it was a hiking question. It was That's a hiking question. I, the last person I dated... Um, uh, I haven't really, like, dated seriously in the past year and a half, but I've, I've uh, there are a couple friends who I tried to, like, upcycle, you know, <laughs> like, a, like a table that well, I tried to make into, like, a chair. Okay. And so, and then so... Oh, okay, okay. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then I tried I that, that for, like, yes, six yeah. weeks, and then we had to downcycle because it just wasn't working. Um, but one of them was lovely. Both of them were lovely. Uh, one of them was more lovely. And the lovelier one, uh, we did go on a hike, and it was lovely uh-huh. and delightful. Hey, you know what kind of uh, interaction one-on-one is maybe going to get smoother or less awkward? Tell me, Matthew. Interacting with humanoid robots? Thank God. Ooh. It's always been so awkward. Yeah. yeah, have I put this in the link yet? I don't know if I have. Uh, hang on. It's at the... So at the top of the show notes there, Andy, now. Um, Excellent. But a Facebook-run uh, AI lab has developed an expressive bot that's an animation controlled by artificial intelligent, artificial intelligent algorithm that was trained on videos of hundreds of Skype conversations so that it could learn and then mimic how humans adjust their expressions in response to each other. Oh. And in tests, it successfully passed as human-like. So there's, yeah, there's, um, are you aware of the Uncanny Valley, that concept? Yes, it is something that I feel when I watch certain, like, mid-2000s animated programs yeah. and attempts, and also hashtag fill-in-the-blank joke about Pacoima. I don't have one, I just want to. I was looking to. for it. I, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to, and yeah. I couldn't think of one, but I just wanted people to know I thought of it. Sure. Yeah, so it's, it's, for our listeners who don't know, it's the concept that human-like reproductions whether it's sort of a rob- a physical robot or an animation of a human face and human a human body um, when it's really not that human at all we're fine with it uh, we like it more as it gets more realistic up to a point uh, and then there is a point where so if you sort of draw the graph if you draw a graph of how realistically human something is and how comfortable you are with it you get more and more... You get, when it looks like a stick man, you're like, okay, fine. As it looks more and more human, you like it more and more and more. 
and then suddenly there's a point, there's a dip where it looks slightly off human. Polar Express Tom Hanks. Exactly. Polar Express, yes. I feel like, is the, is the like, uh, poster shot. Although, like, you, you know ever... what? Oh. Have you rewatched that recently? No. Because I think, I think humans' perception of what, where the uncanny valley lies changes over time. I bet that's As true. our understanding... Because now there's so much more CGI that's so much more realistic that when you watch the Polar Express now, you look at it and kind of go like, oh, this is so obviously... This is so obviously CGI it now. Even make you uncomfortable, it doesn't yeah. look almost human anymore. It just looks animated because CGI has moved on so much. I feel anyway, listeners, your mileage may vary. And then obviously that as it gets superhuman again, that it goes back to comfortable. The um, Polar Express was based on a book by Chris Van Allsburg, which is really beautiful. He was this wonderful um, uh, Caldecott award-winning children's book illustrator and author. And that, when you look at his work, he did Jumanji as well, um, it's very realistic. And it feels really good to look at it because even though it's all illustration, it looks like photographs and it's exciting because it's so photorealistic, really. And then when you see the adaptation, Polar Express, or at the time, it was freaky because it was so, if you had the prior knowledge of having read the book, it was really freaky and weird because it's not that. But now it's almost like when when now we watch films from the 40s or 50s or something and it's yeah. like, hey, how are you doing? This is crazy. <laughs> We're like, yeah, people don't fucking talk like that, but you know what? We're used to it. You know, we yeah, have enough got, distance from I think that's it. it. I think you've got used to the sort of the grammar and you've got used to the aesthetics of it. So now you look at it and go, oh, that's what a CGI thing looked Mm-hmm. seven years ago whenever it was ten years ago that's what they thought people were supposed to sound like because now we typically understand that like a lot of those actors in the early days after the talkies were sort of mimicking this kind of affected stage speech yeah I, well that was sort like of working the middle health, then, yeah the, the, that wasn't just on stage I think that was like a, a sign of class the mid-Atlantic accent was, yeah it was so, almost like a George Plimpton like Am I was, English? Not really, but I'm close. But it was also affected. Like it was the sort it was very of affected. But I don't think I it was think, just entertainment. I yeah. think it was a thing that was taught to people as, uh, to show that they were yeah. of status. It was like right? a white privilege, Boston Brahmin, Beacon Hill. Kind In the of earliest days of TV, um, when the BBC was first experimenting with TV, and they were basically just filming a radio broadcaster talking into a microphone, the first thing they thought would look best is filming them side on. <laughs> Like a profile? Yeah, so in profile. So if you Weird. like yeah, if you imagine like a microphone on the right, man on the left facing that microphone and then a camera at a ninety degree angle to the- see like one eye? Yeah. Like a weird <laughs> so Orson Welles. See him completely eye. side on like this is the BBC. Uh- <laughs> Matt, what does it feel like to have the accent that George Plimpton would have fucked Muhammad Ali to get? How does that feel? The paper line. Well, that's how they described it to us when we were learning it at a nursery school. They're like, just think about George Plimpton and Mohammed. We had a picture of both wishes. of them. He got off his bicycle and he went to the Paris Review and he cried and he said, why can't I sound like that? And everyone was like, sorry, you're not English. So this Facebook AI lab, to optimize its learning, the algorithm divided the human face into 68 key points that it monitored throughout each Skype conversation. People naturally produce nods, blinks, and various mouth movements to show they're engaged with the person they're talking to. And eventually the system learned to do this as well. The bot was then able to look at a video of a human speaking and choose in real time what the most appropriate facial response would be. If the person was laughing, for example, the bot might choose to open its mouth too or to tilt its head. The Facebook team then tested the system with panels of people who watched animations that included both the bot reacting to a human and a human reacting to a human. The volunteers judged the bot and the human to be equally natural and realistic. 
however, as the animations were quite basic, it wasn't clear whether a humanoid robot powered by this algorithm would have natural seeming reactions. Additionally, learning the basic rules of facial communication may not be enough to create truly realistic conversation partners, says Goran Gordon at Tel Aviv University. Actual facial expressions are based on what you are thinking and feeling. In this case, the Facebook system ends up creating a kind of average pers- personality, says Louis Philip Morency at Carnegie Mellon. In future, mm. more sophisticated bots hard. might be able to pick from a range of personalities or adapt their own to match the person they're talking to. Um, Interesting that that's also the origin story of Bill Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Pullman Carr. Guys, who loves it? No one. I'm, I'm on board. No one. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Thank you very Pullman much. Car. Thank you very much. That's why I exist, <laughs> to be here to do hey, that. Hey, do you want to do a heavier story? Hell yeah. Is it about death? Can yeah, we, we've can only we go got time for one or two rainy stories. horrible Burning Man tragedy reference? But this is a uh, um, bad slash good story. Interesting. We may, it was doing the rounds a few days ago. We may be able to use Zika virus mm. to attack brain cancer cells. Oh. Zika can cause babies to be born with severe brain damage, but we may be able to harness the virus to fight, to fight brain tumors in adults. Uh, the virus, which arrived in South America from Polynesia about four years ago, is most dangerous in pregnant women because it can cause microcephaly, which is abnormally small heads, and associated neurological problems in the babies of women who are infected while pregnant as well as a higher miscarriage rate. The virus does this because, unlike most microbes, Zika can pass from blood into the brain. Oh, the The blood-brain barrier. Thank you. Where it infects and kills stem cells, having severe effects on developing brains. But this ability to infect brain stem cells may be proven useful for fighting deadly brain cancers, many of which are caused by mutated stem cells. Jeremy Rich at University of California, San Diego, and his teams have tested the Zika virus on glioblastoma, which is the most common kind of brain cancer, and it's one of the most difficult ones to treat. Even after surgery and other therapies, it usually kills people within a year of diagnosis. The team found that exposing samples of this, these tumors grown in a dish to the Zika virus destroyed the cancer stem cells. It's these stem cells that usually kill a person as they can become resistant to all available treatments. So when the team tested the virus on ordinary brain cells from adults without cancer, they found it didn't affect the tissue, which might explain why Zika rarely causes problems in adults. Next, the team tested the virus on mice implanted with glioblastomas. Normally, such mice would die within a month, but those injected with Zika uh, lived longer, with four out of nine still alive at two months. Not the best numbers. Well, that's already double the life expectancy. Um... It's unclear how this would translate to people, says Rich, as the disease affects most differently to humans, and they have no plans to start testing Zika in people with brain cancer as they're concerned the virus could pass to pregnant women. Um, A mosquito species that carries Zika is found in some parts of the US, and the virus can also be transmitted sexually. But instead, they plan to... Yeah. (sighs) You can totally bone Zika into someone. Well, I'm not... That's another reason I'm glad I'm not on these apps anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always swipe left on mosquitoes when I see yeah. show up. Like, no, thank you, sir. Or I look I out for those. I also can't tell the gender of easily. Yeah. I, I feel badly about it that. against you because I was like, that's really kind of prejudicial. But now I get it. Yeah, and why I, people like, don't take mosquitoes? It. Like, I've, I have so many friends that say they don't take mosquitoes. I used to think like that's a little like, close-minded, but up. like, yeah. But now I get it, and it makes sense. And like, I totally like I have your yeah. back on yeah, Twitter yeah. about it. And also, you should stay away from guys with a small head, if you know what I mean. 
No, I don't. What do you mean, Matthew? What do you mean? I took it. Matt, what do you mean? the head of the. What do you? I was talking about the head of the. What do you mean? What? Oh, the nose took him out. It was like a pun between the head and the. I don't understand. I'm sorry. I'm not clear. I'm not clear. I don't understand. Very slow. Instead, the team planned to see if they can genetically modify the virus to be safer, but still work as possible treatment for brain cancer. So Zika is kind of. I mean, I don't want to attribute intelligence to it because it doesn't have that, but like. It's kind of a clever thing, right? Because, or, or at least it must be unusually adaptable or something like that. Obviously, I have not a lot of knowledge of these things, but it's, it is unusual that something could pass through the blood-brain barrier, right? I mean, one of the reasons that, that um, I think that a lot of babies born to HIV-positive mothers, from my understanding, are not necessarily HIV-positive is because it doesn't necessarily... Did I make? Did yeah, I make that's a different barrier, I think, because that. I, I may be making that, that, that up. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm very that dumb. wouldn't be related to the but it, brain. But it seems like the two main that's things dumb? about. No, it's not oh. dumb. No, no. I think, but there is like. Oh, some, my liberal arts maybe education there's is like, garbage. No, there's probably some kind of amniotic equivalent of that you're talking about. Yeah, like, I remember. I I'm sorry. I'm vaguely the, um, reaching into the recesses of my garbage mind I don't know. and trying to remember learning about that because I remember there was a time in maybe the, like the late '80s where I remember watching news programs where. They were talking about like scientists being very intrigued, confused by why it was that some babies born to HIV positive moms didn't have the disease. Yeah, and it was this grand mystery that has since been solved, and I clearly missed the solved part. No, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. Listeners who know this stuff more, let us know. But um, yeah, it seems like it's this blood-brain barrier interaction, and also the fact that Zika tends to affect stem cells but not developed cells. So that's why fetuses are at extreme risk, whereas fully grown people uh, are are not. Apparently, um, Matt is on board. Apparently, it's usually mild in adults. Life. Uh, it yeah. They're people. I know. I'm saying they're not people. They're stem cells. Make it, but uh, it's usually mild in adults, making it fairly safe for anyone who isn't pregnant. Um, it's occasionally been linked to a form of paralysis called a. Uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, but this seems rare. So Harry Bolstrode at University of Cambridge is considering a trial of unaltered Zika in the UK. And he also points out that the transmission is unlikely in the UK as the mosquitoes that carry Zika cannot survive in Britain. And most people who get glioblastoma are over 50, so the risk of passing it on to a pregnant woman through sex are low. Well, that's, uh, well... I mean, you're making a judgment about who's stooping pregos. Yeah. Typical. Um... But uh, while the virus is unlikely to lengthen the lives of people with glioblastoma by much, the small chance of benefit is worth investigating. We're talking about a uniformly fatal disease, he says, so this is an area of utmost need. Uh If it improves survival at all, it would be an enormous result. Well, one thing I've learned is that I need to really get back up to date on uh, some <laughs> on things other than HIV prevention and safer sex, because there's no such thing as safe sex. There's safer sex. But like, uh, also, I just need to kind of learn more about uh, important shit and not spread misinformation to the people. Thank you. <laughs> On the upside, my hair looks great today. It does. It we really already, does. If we didn't say Thank that, you. we were remiss. Our listeners, let the record show. Which one were we? Remiss. What does amiss mean? Amiss? Something's amiss. Something's out of order. So something's out of the, strange. Remiss is you just uh, remiss, fail to. I would be remiss. I would be rude if I didn't yes. tell you or oh. I would be, you know. I have a master's degree in teaching English 
to children, and I've forgotten everything I learned. Have you forgotten how to defibrillate, defibrillate those children? I have no if idea. I can't came? defib the babies. I will be going to get my certification again because I have a nephew now, and you never know when you're going to need to defib a kid. Right. A frib. Who knows? Did you, so at, at Woodstock, the worst thing you had to do was just talk down some Hofstra girls, you're saying. You didn't have yeah. to do any cool... It was like, you know, and it was painful for me because I was like, this is a tier three school, but I did talk to them <laughs> because I was on my way to being a college dropout at that point, by the by. But, um... Uh, wait, wait, wait. Woodstock, Woodstock 94 and 99. I was confused. Which one was the clusterfuck, muddy, rapey... 94 was the Green Day... One where people threw mud. Ninety nine was the rapey, insane Limp Biscuit. Uh, Limp Biscuit. We were evacuated. The staff was evacuated by the National Guard. I was, oh. uh, ended up leaving, courtesy of the National Guard, because they were so woefully underprepared in terms of uh, water, in terms of gosh, the temperatures, in terms of everything. It was like a clusterfuck of event planning that I worked at. You were and, at the worst. You were at the wood, worst Woodstock. Yeah, Woodstock. I, I was. I was at the terrible Woodstock, but I did get to see. Um, a weird girl from Poughkeepsie flash insane clown posse. Nice. So that was meaningful. But I also got to see some music and meet some cool people. So, you know, a little Excellent. bit of this, a little bit I'm of that. I'm pretty sure the insane clown posse never do a show without some people flashing them. Yeah, it was an early juggalo experience for your girl Ben and Casa, and I said, I'm in for life. Like, even when they did MTV Unplugged, there was there was somebody with a hatchet tattoo on her areola. Probably, uh, <laughs> You've seen that, yeah. where they, you know, where they got the one of them has the uh, clown wig pulled back in a ponytail. Did you know ICP unplugged? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> no, That's not a joke? Oh, but God. They're on, they're on oh. stools. Oh, I wish it was real. I'm so upset right now. I do want to hear an acoustic rendition of whichever song talked about how magnets are. How, how the fuck they were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm is that called Miracles, maybe, that, that song? That is called Miracles. That's yeah. one of the newer songs. Oh, the newer I love that, that you know their oeuvre. I did get to see the Dave Matthews Band and Alanis Morissette and Guster, and at the time, I was flying high. I also saw the Chemical Brothers and some people I knew from high school on Ecstasy. The Chemical Brothers are great life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also got some Tibetan fast food. Very good. Hey, um... Was it free? Yeah, it was totally free. <laughs> It was free, you know, but it came with a price. You know, you know? what would have, would have made it more of a safe commu- and communal event and better community? What? If they'd taken a tip from African wild dogs mm-hmm. uh, and they're voting over packed decisions. Oh. By, and I'm going to tell you how after we quickly thank. We've got so, so many donors to do thank. You wanna, do you want to alternate and see if we can do it quickly? Like you do one other next one and it's like... Do, 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 do. do you guys I think have a Patreon where you like flash that your That might dick. be slow. Let's give no, it a no, go. No, it's, 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 it's hocketing. You know the concept of hocketing in music? Mm. Like you alternate notes. Mm. Let's hocket these uh, uh, people. So a lot of people have gone to the probably science Squarespace-powered website, probably science.com, clicked on the donation button uh, because we've been away for a bit. Uh, we have a lot of people to thank. Thank you so much for your generous donations. Go for it, Andy. Ben Marriott. Brooks Gilmore. Mark Williams. John Clarici. Caroline Laco. James Casson. Stephen Edmonds. Keith Staddenfield. James Cox. Svonimir Kroons. Stuart Holding. Kate Birch. Linda Moulton. Thank, thank you very much, Linda. <laughs> so much, Linda. That's super generous. Uh, David Worth. Peter Long. Destruction Lane. Emma Wilton. Linda Moulton again. It's been over a month. Patrick Chalkley. Uh, Rosalie Simonich. Drew Chapman. Matthew Arnold. Callum Gleason. And Pandora Young. And then some one-offs. Uh, Michael Millinen said uh, that Matt, you called his fuckwit Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull a fuckwit in episode 258, and that got us double the donation. Um, we also got a one-off from Paul Bancroft, who wants us to use that uh, donation to up, uh, upgrade our next uh, tickets to be IMAX. 
for the movies. Uh, one off donation from Samuel McFadden, um, who wants us to get on more Australians, people of color, and female people just for diversity. Often they have really interesting angles, uh, and I'm not going to comment on your angles, but I think they've been great. Thank you yes. so much. I'm just... Um, Putting up pictures of you guys on Instagram and saying, oh my god, really? Is that how fast it happens? Yeah, but I'm like wow. seeing how attractive you are. Who knew that Instagram was instant? <laughs> um, so Swansea uh, uh, academics uh, joined Australian academics and the United States monitoring African wild dogs who apparently vote over pack decisions by sneezing. They found that dogs <laughs> use sneezes to decide when to move off to hunt after making camp for greeting ceremonies called social rallies. Dr. Andrew King of Swansea University said the sneezes acted as a quorum. The study was carried out by zoologists from the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Brown University in the US, and Swansea's College of Science. Previously, it's thought that the dogs, which are among the world's most endangered species, were simply clearing their airways. But while zoologists recorded the details of 68 social rallies, they noticed the more sneezes there were, the more likely it was that the pack moved off and started hunting. Dr. King said the, act, the sneezes acted as a type of quorum, and the sneezes have to reach a certain threshold before the group changes activity. Quorums are also used by other social carnivores like meerkats. But the <gasps> s- meerkats. Everyone loves meerkats. Well, because Drake looks like a sexy meerkat. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why. He does. Is that the appeal of Drake? Because I still haven't figured it out He yet. looks like a very sensual oh, meerkat. Okay. Sometimes it's a Dominican <clears throat> meerkat. Sometimes it's not. <clears throat> uh... The study suggested some sneezes hold more weight than others. Rena Walker of Brown University said, We found that when the dominant male and female were involved in the rally, the pack only had to sneeze a few times before they would move off. However, if the dominant pair were not engaged, the more sneezes were, more sneezes were needed, approximately 10 before the pack would move. The hmm. team's research will be published in the scientific journal The Proceedings of the Royal Society B. You know, my thing, like, personally, is that if... if a Welshman hasn't done the research. I, I don't, it doesn't exist to me. Is, is it science if the Welsh haven't tried it I think you're right. Yeah. For example, uh, the polio vaccine, I do not acknowledge it. Dr. Jonas Salk, not a Welshman. Mm, mm-hmm. Don't care. You need to have several sometime vowels, like a Y in your name. You need W's. Mm. I need a lot of consonants. I need you to be Welsh. And if you don't do the research... Uh, and I just I need I, you to do a passable Tom Jones impersonation uh, at my command okay ready <clears throat> it's not fucking unusual <laughs> to be loved by anyone Andrew Matthew thank you I don't you. get why Tom Jones has to work blue so much so he's amazing very, it was like he was in the room right yeah. there <laughs> my one of my Maltese family members big fan of Tom Jones she's gonna be 80 and I ask her about him not infrequently mm. I was looking at the most famous Welsh scientist just now is it Michael Sheen well he is a scientist, of course. He's a scientist of words um, and is it facial Dylan expressions. Uh, Steve Jones, the geneticist and author, Ooh. is Welsh. Surpri- Jones is a very Welsh surname. Such Bertr- as Catherine Zeta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bertrand Russell. I don't know he was Welsh. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's a great... Um... The great philosopher, logician, mathematician. Um, and Alfred Russell Wallace. Russell well. Simmons, also na- Welsh. Naturalist. Jane Russell. Courtney Cox. Uh huh. Reese Ifans. Courtney Thorne Smith. Oh, definitely. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, uh, every time I can't, I kind of can't say their name, or I feel like I shouldn't be able to. They're Welsh. Right. But yeah, uh, Alfred Russell Wallace, the co discoverer of many of the theories of evolution. Oh. That's People why would... I believe in evolution. Otherwise, 
Christ invented all of us yesterday. Uh, yeah. If it weren't for the Welsh. If mm-hmm. it wasn't for the Welsh. Roald Dahl's Welsh? I didn't know Roald Dahl was Welsh. <sighs> Dude, get with it. I had no idea. Rich man's J.K. Rowling Roald Dahl. Yeah. Um, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Sarah. Yes. Where can our listeners track down more of your work and find out more about you and what you do? Thank you. Uh, you can converse with me in Los Angeles if you see me politely, you know, with boundaries. Don't or, unload. Right. Or sarahbenincasa.com. Uh, if you want to read any of my books, they're available at the places online where books are sold and occasionally in bookshops. The most recent one is Real Artists Have Day Jobs and Other Awesome Things They Don't Teach You in School. And my next one comes out in 2018 and uh, it's due October 1st and I need to really write it it's coming up quickly. yeah and i'm at sarah j benincasa on your twitters and your instagrammers you should follow all of those you can find us at probably science and individually mm-hmm. at andy t wood and at matt kershen give us a follow send us tweets send us stories you want us to cover at uh, probably science at gmail.com corrections comments clarifications as well are all more than welcome Andy, you got anything coming up that people need to know about? Uh, well, we're both doing a live show at the LA Podcast Festival. I'm not sure which date of that it is yet, but we'll tell you the details next what week. What month so. is it? It's coming up a month from now. It's Ooh. the first weekend of October, but I forgot Ooh. which so we've we confirmed f- which of the days it is. We need to get a cool guest for that. Also, yes. if you're in New York, I'm going to be doing an episode of Star Talk <gasps> on the 13th. So this nice. Wednesday the 13th. Come along to that if you happen to be in New York. And I'm probably going to drop into a couple of comedy clubs as well on the night before that. Do you guys uh, do comedy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You mean like... Um, do some comedy skits? Really? Yeah, you mean like like retelling like your, the stuff that like your uncle tells you at Thanksgiving? Yeah, like, like, a, about, like an, uh, a joke and a yeah, knock-knock yeah, yeah, right, and like yes. a... a, yeah, yeah. a an amusing tale? Like why, why, is that, why, are IT, why are E.T.'s eyes so big? Why? He saw his phone bill. He saw his phone wow. bill. Wow. Because he, he had to phone telephone bill. home, which phone was distant. And so it was in the 80s before they had yeah. like correct, Skype correct. and things yeah, like no, that. That's so a great it was point. just full value. That's you, really... you know what E.T.'s short for? What? Because he's got little legs. Oh. He's got little legs. That was, you took a direction because I thought that it was going to be the definition of the E and the T, like, but instead you said it was actually like, yeah, no. Stature is not. So yeah, follow was, Andy T. I mean, Wood for yeah, more yeah, yeah, E.T.-based yeah, yeah, yeah. humor. This is wild. Follow Sarah Benincasa on all social media mm-hmm. and buy her books. Yeah, buy my buy my books, man. Just fucking and do it. And can you pre-order the new book yet? No, you can't, but you can buy other stuff. Oh, I also have audiobooks. Uh, Agora Excellent. Fabulous, my memoir, is an audiobook, and then uh, DC Trip is an audiobook. Uh, so, you know, come say hi on the internet, you know? Get those. Get on that, and we'll let you know when the new book's coming out. And yes. And then stop being purchase. so prolific for a little bit. Can I'll you make stop. us not feel so bad about it? I just want you guys to eat cookies okay. and just be my friend. Thank you so much for being on the Thank show, you. Sarah Benicasa. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, will... listeners. Sorry we were away for a bit. Yep. We will be coming out more regularly with episodes now. Bye. 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 Bye.